Welcome to Michael Stone's podcast, Awaken the World. This podcast is part of an online community library we're developing, one that contains podcasts, videos, transcripts and booklets based on Michael's talks. The goal of this library and this podcast is to bring mindfulness and mental health into the spotlight. Through this work, we're creating new ways to wake up through socially engaged, conscious, spiritual practice. We're creating a culture of compassion and collaboration. We've left our physical monasteries and we're bringing them online. Before we get to today's podcast, I want to take a moment to ask you to consider becoming a patron of this podcast through Patreon. Pledging is easy and can be as little as $1 per month. Just go to patreon.com forward slash Michaelstone and click on the big orange button on the top right of the page. Thank you for listening. Good evening. So I thought I'd begin our first evening together just talking a little bit about this practice that we're engaging in of sitting still and being present with the way things are. Newborn babies crying and everything. One of the elements of the teachings of classical yoga and the Buddha that I find so appealing um, are summed up in this wonderful um, passage that I will read uh, tonight. And the beginning of the passage begins like this. This is the Buddha speaking, supposedly. Those died in desire will not see what goes against the stream. Those died in desire, so the word for desire in Pali is tana, which I usually actually don't translate as desire, I usually translate it as wanting. So those immersed in wanting will not see what goes against the stream. So those immersed in wanting will not see what goes against the stream. So he's describing his teaching as something that goes against the stream. And it's important in this context to understand what the stream is. The stream is the culture. The stream is the momentum of the culture. And the Buddha was teaching at a time where the dominant movement of the culture were the early Upanishads and the Vedas. And what you have in those teachings is this notion that spiritual practice is about getting somewhere. It's about getting something. In fact, lately I've been wanting to just put in the compost the whole world word spiritual. Because in the Upanishads, there's this idea that under the surface layers of the mind, 
deep under the surface layers of the body, that is where the unborn or the undying or the eternal lives. But if we get really clear about what the Buddha is suggesting is his instruction on meditation, and some of you have been studying this with me a long time, we listen to, for example, the first teaching that some of you have just heard over and over again, mindfulness of breathing. The Buddha says, if the breath is long, let it be long. And if the breath is short, let it be short. But the traditional teachings of the time are suggesting that the divine is in the breath, or behind the breath, or inside you, somewhere. That we're, we're supposed to be looking for something beyond the stream. And there's something subtle here about the Buddha's teaching that is really crucial, which is that what he's suggesting is that how the breath is, as it materializes, is what you pay attention to. Does this make sense? So, the problem is the wanting. You see? This is the second noble truth. That the real cause of suffering is the wanting. Mm -hmm. And so, in in a contemporary psychological way, we see this manifesting, for example, in self-judgment. Right? Wanting to be something other than what I am. Or we see this in what Shogyam Trumpa calls spiritual materialism. That using our spiritual practice to get somewhere that I am, as of now, not able to see. So let me read to you here. This is from the... um, from an account that the Buddha gives of his awakening. This is the most personal account in the Pali tradition of the Buddha's awakening. Um, So after he wakes up, he describes what his experience is like. And here's what he says. The Dhamma I have reached is deep, hard to see, difficult to awaken to, quiet and consequent, not confined by thought, subtle, sensed by the wise. Then he says, But people love their place. They delight and revel in their place. It is hard for people who love, delight, and revel in their place to see this ground. So he's suggesting here that the ground is not hard to see. That the ground is just obscured by the wanting. Okay? And it just occurred to me, actually, that the word for ground um, in Pali is tana. Not, not as in craving. Um, tana uh, is the word for ground and this is actually the word that we find in the Satipatthana Sutta, okay. which is the Buddha's teachings on mindfulness. Is the it, so Sati means to recall. Okay. Uh, pata is the place or the ground. So it's like establishing the ground so that you can recall, so you can 
the return, remember, really to put back together again, awareness of what's here. You know, setting up the ground. But the ground for the Buddha is groundless. And that's not a paradox. It's kind of like water, you know. Water has the quality of flow. But just because it's moving, it can still sustain you. It still can ground you, you see. And so the Buddha is suggesting the ground is not something you find like in a holy utopia somewhere, when you finally find God. The ground is this. I don't know about you, but when I hear the sound of this newborn crying, I think a few doors away, my mind fills up with a place. So the place, when you saying people love their place, you're saying, People love to have a viewpoint. Okay? So my mind fills up with the viewpoint. And then wanting shows up. And it's hard to just experience what is occurring without establishing a viewpoint. Okay? Now, if we heard that baby crying, and we felt connected to that baby, which I'm sure most of you did, and then you hear, you know, the baby being thrown out the window or something, you better get up and go do something about it. Mm-hmm. This is like, we have some friends who at the village Zendo in Manhattan who were sitting the morning that the Twin Towers were yeah. assaulted in the way they were assaulted. And they were there and sitting, you know. Mm-hmm. So you better get up. <coughs> and do something. But what I want to focus on here is that the focus of the practice is paying attention to what's happening now. And personally, this is what's really called me to these teachings, is the way they celebrate what's actually occurring without beginning with a belief system that you have to adopt in order to see what's happening. And this beautiful teaching of the Buddha, where he says, if the breath is long, don't make it short. If the breath is short, don't make it long. And the Buddha goes on here. I'll read that last sentence again, because it's so lovely. But people love their place. They delight and revel in their place, in their viewpoint. It's hard for people who love, delight, and revel in their place to see this ground. He's not saying the ground. He's saying this ground. This conditions that. Conditioned arising. Okay. Do you understand that? Okay. So... The way that I perceive what the ground is literally conditions the ground. So the unconditioned, the unconditioned is not a divine place outside of space and time. The unconditioned is just the absence of superimposing how you think things should be, your place on how things are. 
Does this make, mm-hmm. make sense? And it's also hard for people who love delight and revel in their place to see this ground, the stilling of all formations, the relinquishing, the fading away of wanting. If you are stuck in your viewpoint, it's hard to see that the viewpoint is fading away. I get this way when I'm angry. When I'm angry, my viewpoint is always right. And like if it's with Michelle, she's wrong. And she's so wrong. And I'm, there's so much entitlement in it. you know. And I don't see that my viewpoint is just a viewpoint. And that in that moment, I love my place. And then he has this nice phrase at the end. Were I to teach this and others not understand me, that would be tiring and vexing for me. (laughs) That's kind of an interesting way to end. Were I to teach this and others not understand me, that would be tiring and vexing for me. And some of you who know the story, and I hope over the next weeks we'll start to Uh, read more uh, of this material, but this way that when the Buddha had his experience of waking up from so much self-created suffering, um, he didn't feel, he he didn't know what to do about it. He wasn't sure how how to teach. And so the first thing he does actually after he awakens is he goes to share this with his yoga teachers. He has two yoga teachers who taught him before. And he wants to share, and he finds out they've both passed away. Mm. They've both passed away. Um, The thought occurred to me, to whom shall I teach the Dhamma first? Who will quickly understand this Dhamma? And then the thought occurred to me, Alara Kalama is wise, competent, intelligent. This is his first teacher. He, he has long had little dust in his eyes. <laughs> what if I were to teach him the Dhamma first? He will click, quickly understand this. Then someone came to me and said, Alara Kalama died seven days ago. And the knowledge and vision arose in me, a great loss he has suffered. If he had heard this, he would have quickly understood it. So you can see how it's important for the Buddha that he share this with someone. The way I like to interpret that is that your practice doesn't exist in solitude. You know? So it's important that you start to see that your actions actually matter. And so you might not be sharing these teachings. I hope you're not going home and saying to your partner, you know, you better get on to this. You know, I always tell people when they first start practicing, if they have a very close friend or a lover or a spouse or something, to give it four years. (laughs) Before you start dragging them (laughs) to, like, center of gravity or whatever. Like, just let them be a little bit until you digest 
some of the teachings. Because what's going to happen is for the first year everything's great and then you're going to go off of it. Um, I'll say a few more things and then I'd like to to hear some of your own experience. Um, This is many years later in the ninth century. Um, Lin Chi who is responsible for the Lin Chi stream of Zen Buddhism, uh, which is called the Chen Rinzai tradition. Um, he writes this, and I think this passage, which I was using, a couple of you were there when I was teaching at Snow Lion. He's well known for a passage called um, um, The True Person of No Status. The True Person of No Status. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Very interesting. Okay, listen to this. If you, oh, really listen to this with your heart. Not just, it's interesting, is the more you start to hear passages sometimes, it starts going up into the intellect. So just listen with your heart to this. If you want to be free to be born or die, to go or stay, as one would put on or take off a garment, then you must understand right now that the person here listening to this talk has no form, no characteristics, no root, no beginning, no place she abides, yet she's vibrantly alive. All of the 10,000 condition happenings of life operate in a place that is in fact no place. And here's the teaching. The harder and farther you search, the further away you get. The harder you hunt, the further astray you go. This I call the secret of the matter. The secret is not that there is a place that you can't see. The secret is that you can't see because you're looking. Because you're wanting a new phase or a new turn, a new twist in your marriage. Like Jack Gilbert says, wonderful poet, Eventually, you can break through the marriage into marriage. And then you can experience the body in the body. And I say this to yoga students all the time, like, find your body. Find the body. Not how you need your body to move. How you want your body to be. That's what the Buddha is saying with the breath. Leave it alone. Notice the breath as it is, as it happens, as it materializes. So one of the reasons why we've created this garage is so that we can find a way to really drop into deep practice together without becoming a member of something. We don't, there's no membership cards here. You don't have to join anything. We don't care if you come back. We hope that you practice enough that you never come back. And that we 
um, make friends with ourselves, with each other, with the neighborhood, with the birds, and even what's unbearable. The baby is crying, and you don't put it outside of your heart. You cried like that baby. And maybe your parents, because of their conditioning, lived a restricted life. And so when you cried, presumably before you had a bath, or in your bath, your parents, maybe for some of you, maybe they couldn't give you exactly what you needed to, to manage the crying so that it didn't turn into suffering because of their conditioning. And there in that moment when you hear the crying, it's going to constellate in your body, in your memory, in the vasanas, in all the latent impressions, um, these different feelings. And then you're going to arrive at a view and then you're going to be absent. You see? And it's a fascinating process to watch. So, the initial instruction was to open the ears and notice the inhaling and the exhaling. What was your experience? What did you notice? Let's start with the back of the room. (laughs) (laughs) Jacqueline, do you want to start? What did you notice, inhaling and exhaling? Without editing. Uh, I was able to focus. I mean, I thought that was good. Uh-huh. Instruction We're going to add to that as the weeks go on. We're going to start going deeper and deeper in the body mm-hmm. until you can feel the breath. For those of you that were in the class earlier tonight, what are these called again? No. Yeah. But um, at the beginning, it's, you can really, there's so much sensation here. Just right in here. It's amazing. John? Uh huh. I felt a glossy in my throat like four lumps of sugar, but no glass of water. <laughs> so, the potential for something, but then choking on it at the same time. I'm yeah. really choppy. Mm-hmm. Did you notice how the more you focus on your throat, the tighter yeah. the mm-hmm. sugar? Yeah. 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 So that's the view. And inside the view is the wanting. Because it's not a problem until you want it to be different. And then it's a problem. Um, <clears throat> I noticed that it's 
sometimes I hear the instruction as if I'm hearing it for the first time, uh-huh. even though I've heard it many times before. So being reminded that just being in the nostril was really helpful yeah. to me because it was taking me a while to uh-huh. forget that there had been an accident on the 401 and what uh-huh. it was like to drive here. And yeah. so just that little reminder yeah. to stay in the nostril. Not I didn't have to feel the whole thing was really helpful and yeah. I was able to do that. Mm-hmm. In between the storytelling. Yeah. Angela? Um, yeah, I like the fact that we're focusing uh, on that one spot. But if I started to force it, I started to think, oh, I could feel uh, the in breath as I wanted to feel it. Yeah. But the out breath, I didn't. I started to force the out breath, so I was thinking more about how uh-huh. I wanted breath to feel rather than just letting it come. Yeah. Sato said something insightful about that this weekend when we were on retreat, which is how we tend to want to focus on the part that has the most sensation. We we want to go to the part where this... It's like we're sensation junkies. (laughs) Yeah. It's interesting because in the mindfulness teachings, in the second foundation of mindfulness, some of you know this, mindfulness of feeling, the instruction is to notice positive feelings, negative feelings, and neutral. Neutral Neutral feelings are, and actually most feeling is neutral during the day. But, and then you start to see the way we're so geared towards the strong sensations, and then within that, the strong sensations that give pleasure. This is fascinating. And even if it's a painful feeling, it can give pleasure if we have a story about it. Okay? So sometimes it's like we go to our worst knee joint injury, and we focus on that, and it gives us a kind of pleasure because it allows us to stay in a view It allows us to stay in the view. So backing up again. It is hard for people who love, delight, and revel in their place to see this ground. Does anybody here delight in their view? (laughs) I have this crazy idea that one day what we should do is we should have like a homework assignment where you have to go to someone you don't get along with and ask them to tell you about how they characterize you. And let the ego be so porous that you can listen to what they say without a view. <laughs> but we'll, we'll do that <laughs> in a little while because I want you to keep coming back. <laughs> even though there's no membership. Okay, so one of the things sometimes that's so hard um, in therapy is to try and get people to, to be with their experience without coming to a view about it. Without coming to a view about it. Because what you're noticing is quite impermanent and I say that even, not in a naive way, but even sometimes we have these addictions that just, they're, 
one of the things I ate this weekend was I was at we were in this bakery in Flesherton, and they had these things called sticky knots, and they're kind of like Chelsea buns, but they're all knotted. Do Chelsea buns come from someplace in the UK? They must. Yeah. Yeah. And these are called sticky buns, and they're like this knot. And just, you eat it, and it tastes so good. But as I was eating it, Melinda, who's not here, is saying, this is made of lard. <laughs> you know? And then my mind was in a knot. You know? But our, our knots, in Sanskrit, the word is grunti. Let's say that together. Grunti. Our knots are actually primarily conceptual. You know? Like... When you touch a really deep emotion, it's so simple often. It's like hurt, you know, or like embarrassment, shame. But there's so much nodding around it. Yeah, you know, that um, what happens is we tend to stay on a on the view, in the view mm. we have. And sometimes, like, therapy, if it's always talking, can, can reinforce the knowing things just in the language realm. And then we can explain so many of our deeper s- symptoms or difficulties, but we can't let them go because the technology's not there. You see? Because we don't see the view that we're holding on to. And it's not enough to replace a negative view with a positive view. (laughs) We've all learned that with our self esteem projects, right? It's like thinking good thoughts to yourself. Okay? But if you can neutralize, if you can neutralize the view, then you can start to introduce different kinds of thoughts. Okay? Like if you, can, if you can get a little bit of calmness in the sitting, then you can start introducing kindness in your practice and friendliness to yourself, to others. One more person in your experience. Do you want to... I forgot your name. Yeah, do you want to describe her? Um, I focus on enjoying the breath. Enjoying yeah. the breath. Because yeah. uh-huh. often it's more than the sensation, but it's just the um, pleasure. Yeah. And then I was caught into the feeling I hadn't much if I couldn't breathe. Like mm-hmm. I, I was, something was catching and I was, was it, for me was afraid of not being able to breathe and the other one was to explode, like to make noise in the room and mm-hmm. Yeah. So it was just like, Relating to what Angela said, you both touched this a little bit, but one of the reasons, and I know most of you have done this before, but one of the reasons why we start with the meditation on sound, we didn't focus on it that much then, but one of the reasons why we start just noticing sound is because if you find you start to get a bit tight around something, and even if it's at a sensation level, like um, if you start to get a bit tight around the way the breath is happening, then go back to sound. 
and it tends to just release the diaphragm and then start again. Very, very helpful. Okay, one more person. Cindy. Cindy knows this trick. <laughs> one more person. <laughs> At the beginning of the meditation, I found that as I was focusing on the breath, I was sort of hit by a strong emotion. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Um, and so my attention was balanced. It was with the breath, but also with um, emotion and then what it related to, and then all the was I really feeling this, or was I creating how I felt about that? And then, yeah. But the attention to the breath was still there, yeah. even with all the other mm-hmm. stuff going on. Yeah. So it sounds like in your description, everyone's description so far, that it is possible to go back to the breath. It is possible. Yes, no? Mm-hmm. A little bit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Not clinging to anything. Um, I'll read one more thing and then I want to do a little partner exercise before we say goodnight. As soon as I say that, that's usually when people leave. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is from Ryokan. Um, Ryokan, by the way, was a, a hermit who lived in Japan, um, and uh, he was very, very poor. And in his life, and he was poor, but in his practice, he um, used his poverty as part of his practice. And so he had a little hut on the side of a hill, and he had no belongings except for like a pan and a pot to boil water and a couple of utensils, he slept on the floor. Um, someone asked recently at the yoga festival, we had a round table and someone said, can you be a yogi and have a BMW? <laughs> and this was a really interesting question. Yeah. At first we say, oh, you know. But, you know, it brought up in people the sense of, well, we never like to talk in public about what we really need. What do you need to practice? Rio Khan didn't need much to practice. And this little passage really gets to the heart of it. Um, He goes out for a walk, presumably, and he comes home, and the door to his shack is busted open, and his things are stolen. Could you imagine coming in <laughs> and stealing the things of Ryokan? Could you imagine? To, you probably no one here would probably do this. Okay? But he comes in, and the only things he has are taken, and he pens a poem when he walks in the door. And this is the poem: The moon at the window. The thief left it behind. The moon at the window. The thief left it behind. 
So if you're in deep samadhi, which means deep intimacy with all things, and you come home from the talk tonight, and somebody's busted your lock, would you notice the moon? (laughs) (laughs) And he says, the moon at the window. And he's not just joking that the thief left it behind, but he's saying, like, what can you take away? Hmm. Which supposes, what can you add? What can you take away? This is real renunciation. So I challenge you this week as homework. Okay, Between now and next time we meet, um, just bring to awareness one thing that you really want right now. So this week, what's the thing you're wanting the most? Okay, And maybe it's... Um, uh, a, a sweater or uh, a meal at Suserli or like a piece of furniture or maybe for one of your friends to leave you alone. Yeah. But whatever the thing is that you want the most, you know, your kid to stop doing something, I want you to let that go. To let that go. Whatever that thing is. And like be honest. Don't pick like, okay, well there's that thing, but I'm not gonna let go of that thing. And it's in me, it's in my mind, so nobody nobody's gonna know. So okay, I'll pick number three on the list. <laughs> okay. So now I want you to find a partner. So pick someone close to you, and um, maybe uh, if there aren't an, if if there's a odd number, then maybe you can make a group of three. And I want you to just take a turn. So um, I want you to tell the person <coughs> who you're sitting with. Um, first, we're going to sit in silence for one minute, and I'm going to ring the bell. When I ring the bell, we'll open our eyes. I want you to tell the person that you're sitting across from what it is that you're really wanting the most right now. The other person is just going to listen. And the person listening, to listen without a view. Okay? So there's a tendency, like if Cindy tells me she's really wanting um, a hybrid car, then I'm not going to think, oh, that's what I want. Or, oh, I should have chosen that. (laughs) I'm I'm not listening with a view. I'm just listening to what Cindy's saying without a view. Does this relate to what we're... Okay. And then I'm going to ring the bell. We'll sit again for a minute in silence. And then when I ring it again, the other person will go. Okay? Oh, decide when you first meet your partner. So introduce, your, <laughs> introduce yourself to your partner. Make sure you know your, your names. And then, uh, and then decide who's going to go first. And then just let your eyes close and we'll face each other. 